Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I haven't been told PTI was canceled. I think at some point they'd have to tell me. <laughs> we have been preempted for the Little League World Series. In the past, we would go on ESPN2, but there was a sort of common agreement that there's no point in going on ESPN2. Just give us the time off because we have a certain amount of shows we have to do and we're going to reach that number, so give us the time off. If we're canceled, it was a great run. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right? And yes. Mike and I are going to miss it like crazy. Yeah. I don't think we were canceled. <laughs> Nobody's told me. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Still in limbo about it. <laughs> Still in limbo. From Stan Longhoffer. He writes from Wichita, Kansas. Julie Longhoffer, the official dramaturg of the Tony Kornheiser Show, would like to invite all Wichita area littles to her production of Sleuth, one of the slickest psychological thrillers ever written for the stage. Performances are this weekend, August 25, 26, and 27, at 7.30 in the evening on Friday and Saturday and 2 o'clock on Sunday. Tickets are available at ictrep.simpletix.com and Littles can get 75% off oh, general admission using the code Tony K. Use the I'm code, old. people. Uh, ICT is the um, code for the Wichita Airport, hence ICT Rep for Wichita. Oh, ICT Rep, yeah, Wichita Repertory Theater. And he sends along a picture when he and his wife went to see Bad Out of Hell in London, the Jimmy Steinman musical, and says Jimmy Steinman. Lives forever, which is nice. From Jason Smorrell. Um, so the August 1st trade deadline dramatically changed the faces of the New York Mets, which in turn dramatically changed the faces that live in the clubhouse of the Syracuse Mets. You may recall a recent game where all our players were called up to play the Atlanta Braves in the first half of a doubleheader, and the Braves beat the Syracuse Mets 21-3 to at City Field. As I was introducing myself to the new players we received as part of the trades, I went up and introduced myself to one Adam Kolarek. After I introduced myself as the GM and welcomed him to Syracuse, he said, Lachiserie, we now have Littles in the clubhouse. We actually spoke yesterday, and he's been thinking of writing an email as he has some pretty funny connective tissue to share. His father-in-law got him hooked. As I write, we are 19 days from Lachiserie Night Part 2, and it is coming together swimmingly. We've sold 10 tickets on the ticket link, so we have reached the anticipated goal of donating $40 to the first tee of Syracuse. There's a lot more chatter on the Facebook, so I suspect people are buying tickets and not using the code. Rookies. We have Tom Mosser and Dan Byrne recently joined the mix. Sounds like Claire Natola and Elliot Olshansky are in, and I see some familiar names on the ticket links. There may be a Chuck and or Roxy revisit as they do a podcast from the night and talk to all the littles in the house. Dan will be playing a set on our 315 bullpen bar for about 30 minutes before the game, and he will participate in more in-game action, as will Tom and hopefully more littles. Greg uh, Sheramita is coming in from Northern Virginia and bringing his dog to participate in Bark in the Park. Jake and I are cooking up some more ideas that promises to be another magical night of stupidity at historic NBT Bank Stadium. Still room for you in the cheeserie? Please remind the littles that lecheesery.com is the site to visit for a ticket link, hotel reservations, and a list of things to do when you come into town. Uh, tell Jake Hafner to eat it. This is Jason Smorrell. And he also wanted me to know that, what, that the website that was bought, La and this is from Jason. Lecheesery? Jake did not buy the website to make money. He really thought about it and possibly asked the Sands folks if they wanted it. I don't want you to think we're trying to weasel in on the popularity of the show. He was quite upset that I made him build a website so we could send folks somewhere to the ticket link. To keep this on the down low in our secret speakeasy promotion, I needed to keep it off the Syracuse Mets website. It's all fine. It's all good. It's all good. We love Jason. We love the whole deal. Yes. We're big fans. Of Absolutely. It. Let me get to the show. Um, 
We will talk with Wilbon in a little while about. I got to get the Alan Victor Hovland shooting. Yeah, sixty-one. <laughs> so I just wanted to to tell you this. I watched. You know. I watched the golf like wall to wall, and Victor Hovland shot a course record sixty-one and won the tournament. It's tremendous achievement for somebody who's never won a major, but one of the best two or three young players in all of golf. We'll get to that with Mike. I felt terrible for Denny McCarthy. He made $480,000 by shooting minus seven in the tournament, but he was 31st to 32nd, so he's not in the mix mm. in, um, in Atlanta this week. My leg is improving, by the way. I thought everybody would like to know that. I'm going to try and get out today. To I'm trying to get out today. I watched last night. I so enjoyed the baseball game that was done in Williamsport. Oh, Phillies uh, Nats, right? Yeah, that um, it's essentially a Phillies home game, even though it was officially a Nats home game, and the Nats won the game. And it was done with Carl Ravitch and um, David Cohn, Eduardo Perez, Buster Olney did a great job of. They had little leaguers on it. It was so well done, so well integrated. It was. You know, a ballpark, a real ballpark in Williamsport. And all these Little League kids who were there for the Little League World Series were part of the show. It was great. I mean, it was really a great telecast. At the beginning of it, they had a girl who sang the anthem. Just 13 years old. She was tremendous. And I wrote to Alan. I wrote, Dom Smith likely to go three for four with a home run tonight on a short field. And he writes back, Heard podcast, you promised Barry you weren't going to pick on Dominic Smith anymore, which clearly lasted less than 24 hours. And I said, and then Tom Smith gets up in the first. The first three guys, first four guys get hits. Yeah. First four guys with the Nats get on. Dom Smith, and it's 2 nothing because Kiebert Ruiz hits one to the wall in right field, and that's 2 nothing. It's second and third, nobody out for Dom Smith. The dominator. Nobody out. And? Hits a double. Hey, how about that? Two runs batted in, 34 and 35, uh, 32 and 33. Allen writes, we'll take a walk or sack fly or ground out to score a run, and then goes crazy, 33. <laughs> nice 33, and I go, boom, two RBI, 32 and 33. Told you you'd have a big night in a small park, you know. And, and Allen said, we should move to Williamsport. Could have a nice house and a quiet life. And I said, buy a house and write. Home runs will actually hit the house. And then he writes, glad Dom got another clutch hit. Save the inning. You know, and I, you know, but then he made a couple of outs or one. He got two hits. He had a great night. Uh, contribute to a nice win. He had a great night. And, and totally surprising to me because I didn't realize this. When he got the first hit, where are we? Oh. By the way, did you see in the, I guess, when the actual. Here's the first hit. Here's what I get. From Barry's Verluga. RBIs 32 and 33. And I said, what can I say? Last night he was atrocious. Tonight on national TV will be great. Good for him. You know, and, and, he, and I wrote, love the fact that if you hit it out and right, you can actually hit a house. Barry was there. I had no idea Barry was there. Oh, what fun. So, you know, and Dom Smith is, I'm, I'm obsessed with him. Look, it's a lovely night for him. And now he's got... 33 RBI, the Nats win, but I will, I will say this, for the second night in a row, okay, so they're up 4 nothing in the ninth, and they've gone through Weems, and they've gone through Harvey, and they bring another guy out, 
and he gives up a run or something, and they bring in Finnegan. Like it's maybe 4-2, mm-hmm. maybe 4-2 at that point, or maybe 4-1. I don't know. Do you have a box score? If you had a box score, it'd be good. But I think for the second night in a row, now Finnegan, they bring him in because now it's a save situation because it's three runs or fewer, and it's a save situation. And Finnegan gives up a home run. And I think that's the second time in two games that Kyle Finnegan, who is their best reliever, their number one closer, has given up a home run in the last inning to make it closer and closer and closer. He got out of the inning. But boy, oh boy, you begin to get very nervous about the whole thing. Very nervous. Uh, So you wanted to see who was playing at the end of the game? Uh, Let's see. I just want the line. What is Finnegan's line? Uh, Finnegan's line is one-third, one hit. One run earned, one strikeout. It's a home run. Yeah. It was a home run. It was a solo home run. But it does pick up the 21st save. I understand, but I mean, it gets closer and closer and closer and closer, and you just say to yourself, yeah. wow. Yeah, a lot of antacid being eaten. What are you, are you killing us here? By the way, I don't know if you got to see it uh, when the actual Little Leaguers were playing earlier in the day. The Phillies were out in the field. Schwarber and Turner all, and Harper. All, all, all like, the Nats. Can you imagine hitting a double Turner. as a li- Harper and Schwarber were out there cheering on the media Pennsylvania team. Can you imagine being the kid that gets the double and looking in the stands and those three guys are cheering you on? I'm telling you, it was... That's just just great. It was really... The game itself was lovely. A very quick game, by the way. It was just really well done. The integration of the little leaguers and the big leaguers, obviously. That's not the Field of Dreams game, right? That's a different game. That's the one That's in the Iowa. One, Iowa. Yeah. This is a different game, but I really, I enjoyed it. I thought it was produced well and done well. So we'll get out of here. Um, we will talk to, the day before was terrible. The Nats couldn't, they couldn't hold it. They were up. I took the dog out. It was, they were up 3 nothing. I got back, it was 4-3. By the end of the inning, it was 10-3. This poor guy, Abbott. They sent him down as soon as the game was over. Yeah. That was terrible. I felt, I felt terrible for him because I later found out his favorite baseball movie is Mr. 3000. Will Bond and I are in it. <laughs> exactly. So now I root for him, but he got <laughs> crushed. He did get crushed. Uh, all right. We'll take a break. And Michael Wilbon, when we return to talk about the golf tournament, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Inbal Sherrett Singer with a song called May the Words. Michael Granberry writes, When ice and snow were still on the ground, my wife and I flew to Minneapolis. We attended a Shabbat service at Temple Israel. Got to hear an incredibly gifted singer, senior canner, Inbal Sharet Singer, who has a rich and versatile voice and an intriguing family history. Great-granddaughter of Moshe Sharet, who was Israel's second prime minister. Inbal said with a laugh she vastly prefers music to politics. Her journey has taken her from the Middle East to a synagogue in the Riverdale section of the Bronx, now to Minneapolis. I told her about the Tony Kornheiser show, to which she replied, I'm working on my own original song, would love to send it to them. And so this is called May the Words, and on the session is Michael Bland and Tommy Barbarella, who were one-time members of Prince's elite recording and stage band, The New Power Generation. Wow. This is again called May the Words. 
lovely. She's obviously a fantastic singer. You get to listen to it it's an entire, in its entirety when we're done. It plays in Michael Wilbon, whose club um, was the host site of the BMW yesterday, Olympia Fields. And, and, and I'm sort of curious as to how you as a member feel and how your pals who are members feel about something absolutely historic that, that Victor Hovland would shoot a 61, 28 on the back, course record, and win the tournament, and I didn't see him coming. Yeah, Tony, I don't know about, because I, I, I didn't talk to anybody since. I haven't talked to anybody since then. I flew home right. last night. Right. So I don't know if people, you know, we've got a little history with somebody really lighting it up, and that was Jim Furyk yeah. in 2004. Uh, Open. U.S. Open. And, you know, the, the rain led to that. We didn't, you know, soft green, soft course. We didn't have that. We had, like, perfect weather after the first couple of hours on Thursday morning. So there wasn't that. But, yeah, I mean, back-to-back days of historic um, performance. I, you know, I don't know how. I'll find out later today and tonight and tomorrow how people feel about it. But people were just really proud to have the event, to have the BMW again. We had it, um, what, three years ago? With Rom. With Rom and Rom won exactly in the playoff. And um, so people were just thrilled to, to have it. And, and there, were no, there were no fans that year, Tony. There were That's no right. fans in 20. And I was there for a couple of days of that. Just like I, I went for some of this. And uh, it was, it was uh, spectacular. You know, it's always... As you know, that to host an event like this, a uh, place that you play, and there are two courses there, and, and I play the, cor- the championship course, which is what they, of course, played this weekend, um, is the north course. And I try to play that never because it's too damn hard for me to play. And uh, I play it when people, you know, you want to show off. Or people say, oh, come on, I'll play the north course. I've seen the BMW there. I've seen the... You know, there are a couple of big college tournaments um, that Illinois is the host of one of them. Illinois has a, you know, top golf program perennially. But, I, you know, it's just too hard. So it was just, it was interesting to, to be out there a couple of days and walk the course. And as you know, um, we had Jack Nicholas yep. uh, for dinner one night who had a fireside chat, which is one of the cool things I, I've ever been at in, as an adult. Just one of the cool things for, to have Jack and Barbara Nicholas, and so uh, you know it's a big, it's been a big, it was a big week at Olympia Field. So I was taking notes during the tournament, and you and I spoke, and I remember saying this very specifically to you that Matthew Fitzpatrick, who has mm-hmm. local ties because he played one year at Northwestern, and Scotty Scheffler had three birdies in the first six holes and had separated themselves from everybody else because at yeah. that time they had separated themselves from everybody else. And then on the back nine, I, it, I don't know how to describe this. The guy had eight threes and a four, Victor yeah. Hovland. Eight yeah. threes and a four. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, you watched him and everything he hit, he everything. put close enough. Yeah, and Tony, he was, he was just firing at the flag. It wasn't a matter of the conditions allowed him to do so. He, he, he was doing this by himself, period. Now, granted, grant, it, it, it happened back-to-back days. But, yes, it, it seemed like everything, he, every shot he t- 
took landed initially within what four yards of the pin. Yeah. And yeah. my God, how 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 long can he continue this? Well, he kept it going. It was remarkable to watch, and unlike Rory McIlroy, and Rory Rory could have been in the lead. Rory yeah. missed a three-foot eagle putt at one point. He missed at least four other birdie putts inside of 10 feet where he did not hit the hole. And I'm not being critical of Rory, but Victor Hovland made every one of those putts, right? Every one. He did. He did, but Matty Fitz missed one of those, Tony. When yep. He, when, uh, when he was, I think he was at 11 under. He three-putted. It was his first three-putt of the week. Um, so everybody had a moment where it got difficult. Um, and the, I, I don't know if the greens had really dried out and were that much faster yesterday because yesterday was the only hot day of the week. Um, and so a hot by, you know, Chicago standards, people wanted to, they acted like Brits yesterday. People wanted to fall out because it was, you know, 90 degrees. Yeah. Here I, I said to people, are you people kidding me? In D.C. this is a nice spring day. And folks were going crazy about how hot it was. And I don't know, again, I don't know what, what the effect was on the greens. But, yeah, um, yeah I was rooting for, for, for Matty Fitzpatrick, of course, um, being a Northwestern guy. And a guy who I, I've, I've talked to him in the past. I'm like, I know you weren't there long. One and done. Yeah. The people think that Zion doesn't affiliate on some level with Duke or they don't affiliate him with Duke. Of course he do. Um or any number of players who was there one and done. So Matty Fitz does and says he notices it and loves it when people come up to him and start talking about Wildcats. And it's cool. And I was rooting for him yesterday. I think I told you that going in, I was rooting for Matty Fitz, and I do. And it just seems like a, you know, he's won a U.S. Open. And, um, you know, you always want somebody, um, you know, who wears your colors to do well. And so I was hoping he'd win again. Uh, it was a great leaderboard all week long. Yeah. All week long, they had, you know, major champions, recent major champions, people in the top 10. It was, I, I, I liked the tournament a lot. There's a part of me which says it doesn't really matter because you're just trying to winnow the field to 30 for this week in Atlanta. But it was a, God, it was a really, really good tournament, didn't you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, don't, I, I don't have... It doesn't really matter, of course. It matters as much as any other week. It's not a major. Uh, and it matters more than most because you're, you're trying to do that. And because the purse, you know, because, because there's so much money at stake, um, you know, with the FedEx points and all that, there's so much money at stake. Yes, it matters. Um, and it's a, it's a course where, again, it's been the venue for majors. Uh, we just had the women's LPGA there. Um, and I, you know, I, I hope I hope that we get a U.S. Open back. Uh, I think the U.S. Open ought to be in Chicago. As much as you know, they lose their minds over putting it in New York. I mean, Chicago's a big, big, big golf community with lots of stunning courses, actually. So yeah, I mean, you got Medina, which is also held the, the Ryder Cup. That's right. And and majors, I know because I've I've been there for them. Um, and so these tournaments do well, and people love playing there. You, you look at the players, they love playing in Chicago. And um, so it, we, we, ought to, we ought to be back in the running for that. I, I don't know how this affects that, Tony. You never know what you know, the people who make these decisions are thinking. Um, but I, I, you know there's an excitement around it. 
And Chicago's one of those places where when there's big-time sports there, the whole place tingles. And you have the Cubs making their own run right now. You have Justin Fields and the whole place is a, is a glow about that. And, and people care about that stuff. And there are no tickets, no tickets, none for anything. So you can, you can have a weekend where you have no seats at a stupid preseason game, no seats at Wrigley, no seats at golf. Um, and I, like I said, I just hope it, uh, I hope it, and know, Sands will talk to Sands. Sands will know, he'll know much more about this than me in terms of how, it, how the golf course and how the event was received at the upper level of the golf pyramid. I just think that when you have a guy shoot a course record and win a tournament as a result and come from off the pace and beat, when you beat Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy, you know, I mean, this is, I I just thought it was a real big deal. There was one troubling thing, and you probably read about this because I know you like Max Homa a lot personally. Yeah, I do. That Homa was on Saturday, yes? On Saturday, Saturday was putting, yeah. and a guy yelled, pull it, because he had a bet. Gambling. Well, we, this is, you know, we, we saw this at, yeah. um, where was it? Was it the, oh, we saw it in, in, at the, in, in uh, Nevada. We saw it in Tahoe. We saw Steph Curry ultimately benefit from it. That's right. And it was the Marty celebrity Fish. tournament, Marty, Marty Fish. Fish. Yes. Yes. A guy got and, in the middle of his backswing. Yes. Yeah, and we talked about that the next day. I, that might be the last time I did PTI. And we talked about whether or not we, we, we thought we'd see more of this. And here we are because of gambling. And the answer is, yeah. Now, how much more? How much more? Like, are we going to start to see it all the time? Is it going to be something that becomes a, a, an issue? On the tour at the tour events, um, you know this is this is where this is where the culture is going. And the question is now: Are we going to be prisoner of it? This is a troubling thing. It is not a troubling thing in an arena, a basketball arena, a football arena, baseball. You expect screaming and yelling and noise. It's it's fine, but yeah. in golf, you're standing over a putt or you're about to hit a shot, right. and somebody right. yells right. out, "Yeah." Yeah, uh, that's troubling. It is. Yeah, it is, and it, it, it is not. It is not going to be specific to the place. We've seen it twice so far that I know of. I don't know if it's happened anywhere else this summer. Um, and Tahoe and Chicago, and I just brace for more. To be and and part of this is, if you think that that the powers that be that run the golf tour are going to run away from gambling, you're crazy. They're not. No, <laughs> they're not. Look, look come on. No, I mean, nobody's going to run away from it. Hello, our employers. Right, that's no. right. No, they're not running away from anything. So it's, it's, that was disturbing. I like Homo. You like Homo, right? Like him. We followed him. Uh, Cheryl and I followed Homo for a few holes on Friday. And uh, yes, I like Max. I met him. I, I think I told you. I met Max Homo in a parking lot, like a Target parking lot in L.A. And he, he was so gracious. He watches PTI. And we struck up a conversation. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? And I think I was with Amanda Renner. We were in L.A. Um, and we run to, to Max. And she's, she, you know, she knows everybody. She's you know, sure. the, the, on, the on course and then post-match, post-tournament reporter. And, and, and Amanda knows everybody. And Amanda was, of course, covering 
this weekend as well in Chicago. We ran into Max Homa, just a delightful dude. You know, when you, when you meet people that you already root for and they're really cool, and it's just beyond normal, gracious and funny. And, and so that made me root for him, you know, even more. So he's in that group for me, like Tony Finau and Matty Fitzpatrick and Rom. And, of course, Finau and Rom are Scottsdale guys. They're sort of neighborly. Um, that the small group of guys that I really group for week to week. It's an amazing thing. People watch the show. Tell them about what Nicholas said to you. He said it was time for us to get back, get off vacation enough. He watches. <laughs> Jack <laughs> Nicholas. Are you kidding me? Jack Nicholas. He, he and Barbara what? Nicholas were so gracious. What? They were so gracious. It just threw me. Oh, it yeah. threw me. I understand. It, and I, I made a crap about it. I said, oh, I said, Mrs. Nicholas, your husband making you watch? He said, no, 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 no. I watch, you know, when I, all the time when I can. I was like, oh, my God, this is Jack and Barbara Nicholas. You know, <laughs> totally like, bizarre. Totally this bizarre. Is, this is, you could tell. I mean, you could, they, he made, they both made references to things that they had watched and seen and stuff like vacation time. And I, Just ridiculous. I said, yeah. I said, no, you're not going to see Tony here. And they, they knew that. They knew you were not. You know, the chain was not going to allow you to stretch the 635 miles. Just amazing <laughs> that they watch. Yeah. All right, I'll talk to you later. Olympia Field, so that wasn't going to happen. Enjoy. I'll talk to you later. Michael Wilburn, right, boys bro. and girls. We'll take a break. Richard Justice, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, Michael Granberry sends us an artist that we find wonderful. This is John Gorka. This is a song called I'm From New Jersey. It's an odd title for a song. Is One of the lyrics is, if the world ended today, I would adjust. Because he's from New Jersey. Right. It's lovely. Nigel, if people like John Gorka want to send in original music, how do they do it? Please send it to uh, jingles at TonyCornersShow.com. We ask that it be your original work. And he does. He, and he, sends and he does. Yeah, no, he sent his permission. Michael Granberry is always good about that. Yes. Yeah, but if it's like your friend or your cousin, you can't just send it in on their behalf. They've got to send us their permission. Yeah. But please do. Right. It plays in Richard Justice, who's still hot as hell in Houston. I'm sure. Over 100 every single day. You never get used to it, right? You can't get used to it. No hotter than Dylan Cruz. Wow, he's yeah. They moved him up. He went to Double A. <laughs> he's going to be in the big leagues next year. He's amazing. Uh, it's no, you never get used to it. And people who have lived here their whole lives, have lived in Texas their whole lives, are saying this is beyond. You know, you just can't go outside most of the day. Well, in my, our family group text, I was I sent the photo that I sent to you of. Yeah. 107 in the Woodlands, and a cousin sends back 108 in Irving, Texas. So uh, it's that way all all over. It's it's brutal, and the 10-day forecast is 100 every single day. People were, I mean, all people were talking about late last week is that there was rain and 90 degrees in the forecast one day this week. That has gone. So Barrett, it will, you know, and high school football teams are practicing and we're going to have college football in a couple of weeks. I mean, I can't even imagine the, the caution uh, coaches have to take at, at this time. At this time, with the weather, the conditions like this. But they're out there in pads right now. 
It's not going to be like the 1960s where the coaches said no water break. <laughs> not going to be like that. Uh, my my man, Coach Daryl Royal, he was a he subscribed to that uh, notion. Not and if you didn't that. like it, you could transfer to Texas A and I. Yeah. Um, do you think that uh, Dylan Cruz will be in the bigs next year? Yep. How He's... could you not? I mean, oh, he, he wow. look. They're pushing him past high A and putting him right in double A. Yeah. You, Tony, you should have seen the guy at, at LSU. He had four twenty six this year, but he he reminded me of Jose Altuve in that his hands were so fast. And his instincts were so perfect, you know. The Barry Saluga piece, where the he would strike out, and the players at LSU he would strike out, and the players would would say to the umpire, "Hey, look, he knows the strike zone better than you do. Yeah. There is simply no place to pitch him." And they're fun, you know. You you know better than me by far, but the Nats are fun to watch right now. And this kid, I, we've seen it with Seattle with Julio Rodriguez. One guy can light, it can ignite an entire team. And I think his energy, the way he's going to approach it, and he plays, I call it the Jackie Robinson style. He plays a little bit angry, a little bit aggressively, and um, he's going to be an impact person on the franchise in all sorts of ways. You mentioned him in comparison with Jose Altuve as somebody with great hands, and obviously Jose Altuve has a great sense of the strike zone. He's up to 2,000 hits, right? Um, he stayed. Bregman and Altuve stayed for whatever reason. Don't know that they'll spend their whole careers there, but it begins to look likely like they will. Is there any taint with either of these guys? Is is Altuve going to go down as maybe the greatest hitter ever for the franchise? Uh, I would think so. You know, when you have Bagwell and Biggio on your uh, all-time roster, um, that's that's pretty elite company you're keeping. And and the funny thing is, you know how – Older players tend to look down or, you know, diminish the accomplishments of younger players. From the beginning, those two guys, Bagwell and Biggio, adored Jose Altuve. His game, his approach, his attitude, everything about it. His backstory is amazing. He kept getting sent away from trial camps in Venezuela and just kept showing up, and they needed somebody for a, a game one day, put him in there, and he got three hits. And Al Padrique, he's the double-A manager for the Phillies in Reading right now, called the front office back in Houston and said, you gotta give this, we gotta, we got to give this kid a chance. And they said, you didn't like the kid. He goes, I have never seen hands this fast. And within 48 hours of them bringing him into their complex in Venezuela, he was leading the English, getting guys to, to the English lessons. He was organizing the workouts. He was he basically put on a show and he was in the big league at twenty one in, in two thousand eleven. He got only fifteen thousand dollars and his at one point in the negotiations his dad says, uh, Hey wait, um, you know, I my son is worth more and, and Jose interrupted him and said, Dad, I just wanna I just want a chance. Made the big leagues at twenty eleven, batting top first of three batting titles in twenty fourteen. He is uh he is a joy in every way you can imagine. You know, I don't know what the Mount Rushmore of sports in Houston is. Akeem Olajuwon, obviously. Nolan Ryan, obviously. But uh, Jose is pretty pretty far up there. And he's at the point now where he seems to appreciate it a little more, you know, at 33 years old, that he can now see that he's got more yesterdays than, than tomorrow's in the game. And uh, he, he, he took a couple of curtain calls on Saturday when he got his 2,000th hit. I, I can't stress this enough. He's like five six. Oh yeah, that's another. The you know, first base coach yeah. is Omar Lo- Lopez, 
and I, 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 in researching a couple of years ago, who, who wanted, who pushed for this guy? And it was Al Padrique. But <laughs> I called Omar Lopez at the time he was managing their, the double-A team in Corpus Christi, and I said, you know, Tim Papura, who was the general manager at the time, says, you deserve some of the credit. He goes, listen, here's my role in it. I went down on the field when he was playing a game and stood beside him and looked up in the stands and, and, and put where he comes to me. I'm not a tall person, and he comes to about my shoulder blades, and I, and I motioned, no way am I recommending him. And that was it. Every team that sent him away liked him. They thought his bat-to-ball skills were astonishing, but they weren't going to sign a guy at that size. They were just afraid to do it, and they took a chance on him. And that's obviously part of his appeal. Sure. But the other part of his appeal is just the kind of person he is and how much he seems to appreciate that every day he gets to be here um, is a, a joy. And will the cheating impact his Hall of Fame voting, uh, uh, balloting? Of course it will. But I think everyone that was on that team will tell you that he said, I don't want to know. You know, he did, he's just one of those guys that's gifted enough. He didn't, he didn't need to know. And um, the guys who went through the video and listened to the sound, matched up the sound, I think they found one time where a trash can banged the whole year. But he is extinct. But he gets it because he and Bregman are the only two left. Yeah. Every road game, they get the hell boot out of them, and they know it. And I always thought he's kind of a – Altuve is kind of a sensitive guy. Where Bregman is like, you want to boo me? I, I want more of that. I, I like that. That's not Altuve, but he seems to be have, uh, you know, settled into it. That when I come to bat on the road, I'm going to get booed, and he's he's symbolic of that 2017 championship where they cheated to get it. Um, is 3,000 out of reach for him? Is 3,000 out of reach for everybody the way 300 as a pitcher is now out of reach? It's not going to well, happen. Well, you know, he's 33. You would think it's, it's out of reach. It took seven years, I think, to get, to get the, the latest 1,000 hits. And right. That was one of the first things he was asked on Saturday. And he goes, whoa, 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 it's, that's way too far. Let's take it one hit at a time from here on. So I would think it's out of reach. I believe, I don't know, we've never talked about this. I, I believe the most unnoticed, underrated, undervalued number of them all is RBI. I, I, nobody ever talks about it. They talk about home runs. They talk about hits. They talk about wins. To me, RBI is, you're putting food on the table with RBI. Am I wrong on this? Well, I think players look at it that way. And I think it's a, it's a, it's, players will tell you it's not a fluke. I would say it's, it's partially a, a function of time and place. Right. You have to have an opportunity sure. to drive in a run before you can drive in a run. But what players would tell you is that it's part of the competition of the game, that if there is a runner on second or a runner on third, particularly if there's a runner on third with less than two outs, it is your job and nothing else but your job to get that runner home, no matter how you do it. If you have to take a ball in the ribs, if, you, if a ball has to uh, – if you have to walk and – in, in, on a wild pitch and let the run in. You have to do something to get that run home. They do view it that way. I, I tend to think of it, you've got to be careful with it. How many RBI opportunities do you have and, and all of that. By the way, did you know that uh, Scherzer and Verlander didn't like each other? Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't know that. Look, look, these boys, I knew them at, both at Detroit. These boys are alpha males. Right. <laughs> and in Max is, and I know you've met Max. I have, yeah. Max. Verlander, mm, too. Max, smart. 
Max loves to talk about the game. He loves to talk about the evolution of his pitching repertoire when he came up in Arizona as a guy who threw very hard with a changeup and how he just one day throwing in the outfield and Detroit came up with a curveball and how he, he, he changed every year. But the, the point I'm making is he loves talking about the game. Max is one of those guys that does not meet a stranger and is one of those guys you're drawn to. Justin is different. Justin was hard to get along with in Detroit. I mean, they would say, I think somewhat jokingly, how many pitching coaches did Justin fire in Detroit before Jeff Jones came along and, the, and they bonded? He is, he is very tough. And um, he's, is, he's you, I, I know you've had him on PTI. He's and, very good. And he's very good. Yes. And I have nothing but a professional relationship with him in that I need this, X, Y, and Z. He gives it to you. But he doesn't tolerate fools where I think Max does tolerate fools. <laughs> That's the difference. And so it's obvious, you know, when they had Porcello in Detroit and and uh, Jimmy Leland managing the team, it was a lot of big egos there. So I think the idea that a rivalry would develop was natural. And I don't, I don't make a big deal of it. I think it I think it exists in a, in, a, in a lot of in a lot of different ways. I mean, I've been around great players and. Great players are competitive with other great players. I, I don't think it was an outward thing. And I don't think it did anything to tear the Mets apart, if, they, if that's the point people are making. The Mets had uh, far bigger problems than whether Justin and, and Max Scherzer were um, jealous of, about each other. It's remarkable to me. I mean, I will keep saying that each of those signings made sense to me. I don't, oh, yeah. You know, I don't understand... It's not as simple as saying they made the wrong signings. They were not the wrong signings. But I also believe this. I cannot even imagine that Buck Showalter will manage that team next year. I can't. Can you? And no, you know I cannot him. manage. And I don't think they are conceding a rebuild. I think the biggest rumor in baseball is that the David Stearns of the Brewers has taken a year off after stepping down as general manager right. that he's going to go to the Mets. He'll, as the title, president of baseball operations. You look at what he did in Milwaukee with a mid-level payroll. You know, he was with the Astros. He was with the Indians when they were the Indians, and he was with the MLB. He is, uh, other than Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers, he's the most brilliant baseball executive I've known, and he can do more with less than anyone else. So if David goes to New York, as some as many people expect, um, they're going to be in the mix. And because I think one thing we know about Steve Cohen, the owner there, is that, A, he will spend money, and, B, I think he will listen to logic and, um, and, and let the guy construct a team of his own image. And David has shown that he can do it. So I think when you have money and you have smart people in charge, you're always in the mix. Does that mean Buck not managing the team? I would assume David hired – uh, David, I think he inherited Craig Council in, in Milwaukee, and they had a great working relationship. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I, it would seem that the way the Mets played this year, there would probably be a change. And I don't know if David has somebody in mind that he would want to manage the team if he does. If that does happen, make sure you stay inside. Don't be crazy. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Richard Justice, boys and girls, we'll take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. 
You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag, got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all you folks. That's Brian Adler. Isn't that That's great? That's a quickie. Yeah. That's a good one. Quick but good. That's a good one. Hmm. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Yes, got the bagel sandwiches today. We love those. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com uh, for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That's going to do it for us. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, hot town, summer in the city, back of my net getting dirt and gritty. Been down isn't a pity. Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city all around. People looking half dead, walking on a sidewalk, hotter than a match head. I'm pretty sure that's written by John Sebastian. I know it's recorded by The Love and Spoonful, um, Summer in the City. It's probably, it's not their best song, but I think it's their biggest hit. Might be. Yeah, I think it's their biggest hit. I'm not sure. Thanks to our guest. I love The Love and Spoonful. Yes. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Richard Justice. Thanks to today's sponsors, Nuts.com, Simply Safe, ZipRecruiter. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get show through Apple. Please leave us a review. From Nancy Conravy in Abita or Abita Springs, Louisiana. I was sorry to hear about PTI's cancellation on your podcast. I was more disturbed that you seemed to go immediately to has-been status so quickly, <coughs> since people are now turning down invitations to be on the podcast. Perhaps you should reconsider your position of not appearing on other podcasts. You can plug your podcast. I'd hate to see you relegated to grocery store openings and children's birthday parties. Yeah, me too. Uh, from Stephanie, you got to try the coffee ice cream at King's Ice Cream, Cape May, New Jersey. Might be the best I've ever had. Top three for sure. She sends along a picture of it. King's Ice Cream, don't they also have one in Lewis? I'm, Haven't I gone to the one in Lewis? I'm not familiar That's with King's them. King's Ice Cream as well because the coffee ice cream I had there was tremendous. By the way, John Sebastian... Did indeed write it, and yeah. it was the, the band's only number one hit. That's sort of what I yeah, thought. I believe you had that. Yeah. yeah. Um, James Coco sends in, I can hold it no more. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has specific regulations for what can be called ice cream. More, most importantly, that it contains no less than 10% milk fat. Oats do not have mammary glands, <laughs> making it impossible for oats to produce milk. Ipso facto, they do not produce milk fat, and anything produced with oat juice cannot be ice cream. Remember, you can get a drinkable product, an oat, a bean, and an almond, and those products should be rightfully called juice. I will save my rant on being served non-fat half and half for another day. Isn't that just overpriced skim milk? Thank you, James. <laughs> I'm sure I'm, you share that position with Buster Olney, of yes, course. Yes, yes. From David Sampson in Westport, Connecticut. Uh, McConnell's ice cream, not sweet at all, dark, and a bit schmutzy. Sound like anyone on this show? <laughs> From Bill Fien or Fine. In Cape Coral, Florida, Publix carries Barney's brand coffee ice cream. You can get a full half gallon on sale for $5. I'll put that up against any coffee ice cream, irregardless of price. Perhaps Michael can pick up a half gallon for you the next time he's in South Carolina on a grilling and golfing vacation. (laughs) From Steve the Sycophant, on your uh, last pod, you said, here is the chain of the best nonfiction writing in America. Tom Wolf, Link 1, Michael Lewis, Link 2, How About Dinner? I agree that Messrs. Wolf and Lewis are superb, but the unmatched John Angus McPhee has to be listed somewhere. Maybe his best essayist. Yes, John McPhee, professor at Princeton, author of the Bill Bradley book, A Sense oh, of Where You Are. That's right. Um, author of a book called Levels of the Game about a match between Clark Gravener and Arthur Ashe. John McPhee, great. Absolutely great. Do I think he's as great as Michael Lewis? 
No, Michael Lewis has wider aim, I think. Um, but yeah, John McPhee is great. Just great. Thank you to Steve. Jim Fleming in Garrett Park, Maryland. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for proclaiming Michael Lewis as the best nonfiction writer in the country. I've been telling people that for years, and I've usually been met with skepticism or even worse blank looks as in, who's Michael Lewis? Now I can say, don't take it from some rum-dum like me. <laughs> Tony Kornheiser, who knows a thing about nonfiction writing, said it. Now take your shine box and get out of here. <laughs> from Craig Copeland in Owings Mills, Maryland. From a fellow English major, mind you. Scurvy, Burberry, Cat Scratch Fever... Uh, Bruchella's hand and foot and mouth scabies or yellow fever, definitely one of those. That's what I think that he thinks I've got. <laughs> I don't think you have any of those. Uh, from Stephen Call or Cowie. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's an eye. Cowie in Ashburn, Virginia. As I was catching up on the podcast last week while traveling to Denver, I was enjoying the Al Michaels interview when it struck me, my David Aldrich moment. I thought to myself, wait a minute. I know that earthquake. I was on a plane that touched down as the quake was underway. Wow. It shook the plane so much that the flight attendant remarked, welcome to San Francisco after that interesting landing. It became apparent that it was an earthquake as the plane continued to shake as we began to taxi to the gate. Needless to say, meetings were scheduled for the next several days in the Bay Area. Those were all canceled. After deplaning while walking to the customer service desk to try and get on a flight back east, I saw the World Series broadcasting quake coverage. I ended up on the red eye back to Washington that evening and still recall some of the fires as the plane departed San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I've listened to many of your podcasts as I travel over the years. They make the flights much less tedious and give me a chuckle. Thank you and the usual guests, except for Saliza, of course, who could just continue to eat it. From Jeff Barger in Hillsborough, North Carolina. How's Reginald getting ready for the upcoming season? Is he sifting through QBR spreadsheets? Is he watching all 22 tape from last year? Is he visiting preseason camps? I'll hang up and listen. I don't know. I've stayed away. I think he's in the south of France, just sort of clearing his head. From John, and that's coming up, by the way, kids. It is. We're going back to what we like the most. John Pearson in Milwaukee. In my travels, I've enjoyed the unique and savory flavors, flavors of the finest Kobe beef. I've basked in the perfection of the delights of creme brulee at the finest of restaurants. I've experienced the full-bodied glee of consuming the common man goodness of perfect Wisconsin bratwurst. However, the new definition of delicious is Pat Forty fully free-flowing snarkiness while talking about the NCAA and his perfection and perfection of his summary of the hypocrisy of college presidents still holding on to any concept of academics mattering in any of their decisions. Hours later, I'm still full from this perfect meal. From Adam McCaslin in Mattoon, Illinois. During your discussion with Barry's Veluga on Jason Ward's place in national's history, you forgot to mention one very big point. He was able to do the hardest thing in the galaxy. That's true. Yeah, hit a pitch baseball. Hardest by his definition. Anyway. <laughs> Kelly Campbell, Naples, Florida. As I was listening, I couldn't help but notice that wedding season lines up perfectly with hurricane season. Coincidence? I hardly <laughs> think so. From Jim Cudahy in Locust Grove, Virginia. For a while now, your regular disclaimer of not needing to use Grammarly personally was reminding me of something, but I couldn't put my finger on it. This week it came to me. It was like a certain radio personality spot for Bernie Streeter's Arby restaurants. I don't eat curly fries, but I'm told they're quite good. That's so local. So local. From Tom Till in Orange, Virginia. Anyone discouraged from seeking a public life after your remark to Jared Freed about getting used to some people never liking you should recall the words of Reginald Martinez Jackson. Fans don't boo nobodies. Of course, this does not prohibit the holding of grudges which are as critical to life as food and oxygen. It's called Irish Alzheimer. Indeed, you forget everything except those who've wronged you. Jeannie talks about that all the time. And from Jim Lean in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. I was both excited and angry to hear the Boone County Virtual Marching Band's version of the email jingle. I've wanted to do that for years and never got around to it. Tom Mueller beat me to it. 
Having taught marching bands and drum and bugle corps drum lines on and off since 1980, I am impressed with his rendition, as are we. Shout out to Bite Tight, everyone, as always, to wear white. Maybe you could tell me what you think is going on here. And please, speak as you might to a young child <laughs> or a golden retriever. <laughs> Of my mind. 
Just I would adjust. 